I, um, I do want to take a note before reading scripture today and just uh, review a little bit of what brings us to here. You know, there's, there is something about Christian faith that allows us to experience all the riches and all the varieties and all the variegations of life at once. The joy and the sorrow, the richness and the depth, the pleasure, the energy, the passion, as well as the silence and the remembrance. All together, because we worship a God who is the creator of all things, redeemer of all things, who loves us and knows us through all things. And so as you heard, as I sat uh, this week in vigil with my sister and my mother and family coming in and uh, embracing the moment, um, the art and moment of death. So also, as you heard, we heard word of Leah. Uh, Leah Quarles, as she was called to Pennsylvania, as her family experienced an anticipated, but nevertheless all too soon and quick death of her father. Uh, we heard word through all this week of over 25,000 dead at least in Turkey and Syria. We continue to see images and hear news of those dead in Ukraine and other parts of the world at the hands of violence and war. And as things would have it, our Christianity 101 class today met with our confirmation class and their topic today was death, dying, and the afterlife and all the ways in which Christians have thought about that and what we believe as people of Reformed faith about death, dying, and the afterlife. So when, um, when we heard word that Mike was not feeling well, he will be fine, but uh, he is down with, with the flu this weekend. Uh, I was so aware of all that Reverend Kuberian has been doing these last several days, and so I said that I would take the pulpit and Eric would teach the class. Uh, so my sermon today, it seemed to be a moment to speak to all of this, perhaps. Less a composed sermon and more simply some thoughts from my heart about death. Even in a time of great celebration, in a time of Super Bowl and golf tournaments and the like, to take a moment and think about death and its place in our life and in our faith. Not to be morbid, to the contrary, not to be sad, to the contrary, not to be depressing, to the contrary, not any of that, but in fact to strengthen our faith, to rejoice in our faith, and to lean in to our faith, perhaps in new ways, in a world and in life that is teeming with life and with death. I look around this sanctuary, and I don't know all of your lives, but I know some of your lives, and I know bits and pieces, and I know how many of you here today have experienced death of someone you love recently or in the past or are wrestling and thinking about all of that and what that means and all that goes with that, and I recognize that this is part of our life. Life in faith is marbled with death. And that is part of what we give to God. We don't need positive thinking to get to the heart of it. We need truth. We need faith. We need scripture. 
And so I have chosen two scriptures today, different from those originally planned for today. One from uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and another, a verse that so many of you have heard at funerals or memorial services from the 8th chapter of Romans. Please listen for the word of God in the 15th chapter, verses 50 to 55 of 1 Corinthians. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? And from the book of Romans. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died Yes, and who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the deal about life and death, as far as I can tell. As I mentioned before, death is part of life. It comes to us whether we are 102 or 92, 
or 52, or sad to say, sometimes just two. In life, this side of paradise, there is a first breath and there is a final breath. Whether it is at the hands of an accident or disease or violence, whether we are alone or we are surrounded by love in a long visual, vigil of remembering and reconciliation, there is a final breath. To try to live as though that is not the case is to deny what is true and just to not pay attention. To say this is not to be dismissive about how hard it can all be, but it is to attempt to be whole and, and healthy and open to the power of faith in life. And I say this now noting that there are young people here in the sanctuary that I believe, at least for one, and I know you may disagree and are free to for very good reason, but I believe that we should never hide this truth from children. We should bring children as we bring each other and ourselves into the presence of God's love through the work of life and I, um, my father died when I was 21 years old uh, during my senior year in college. I was away, I was back in Chicago. Uh, he died suddenly of a heart attack and I flew back the next day for a funeral that was that week. And in, it was the first week of January and so we were wearing coats and I still remember, I can still feel the moment when I walked into the front door, the, fo the foyer of our, of our house, and opened the closet door to hang my coat, and there in the closet was my father's hat and his coat that had been haphazardly set on a hanger that uh, afternoon when he had returned from the airport to take me to fly back to Chicago the evening that he died. And I remember just standing there, and I was already heading to seminary at that point. I had already chosen ministry as a vocation. I already had a, what I thought was a reflective faith. And there I stood and saw this, and just for what was just a moment, but felt like an hour, as I realized that in that moment, and you may have experienced this yourself in different times, I had to decide what my faith said to me and to life in that place, in front of that closet. A faith that had been so much about life, had been so much about abundance, had been so much, as rightfully so at 21, about the future, suddenly had to make sense of death. So, too, the life of faith as we experience it in the face of suffering, in the face of injustice, in the face of unimaginable pain, in the face of buildings collapsing on people who had no time to say goodbye. 
Faith must have something to say, or it is mere fancy. And so let me take a stab, if you will allow me to. Let me take a stab at a couple of things that I think I've learned or perhaps surmised over the years about all of this. And one of those is that faith allows us to see and examine the fragility of life, our weakness, and our vulnerability, even death, square with honesty and without fear. Isn't it strange sometimes, though understandable in real life, but still odd how our faith that has the story of the death of the one we worship right at the center of it, how often we use our faith to hide from these depths of life. Sometimes we say things to each other to help each other feel better, but they're sometimes the wrong things to say, though understandable that we say them. To a child who's lost a parent, to a parent who's lost a child, God needed another angel. No. God needs no more angels. But God does need our attention. No, God desires our attention in all things and our love for each other in all things. For those things, those things we say to each other while comforting, don't take us to the depth of faith. What takes us to the depth of faith is acknowledging that sometimes this side of eternity, death doesn't have meaning until one day when all meaning is restored. Death can be unjust until one day when justice reigns through all eternity. Death can be too soon until one day we experience through all of eternity the great love that made us. And death can also come in love and care and vigil. All of this is life and all of this is gift. And all of this is reconciled in eternity through God's love. And so, a second point, that in the face and in the wake of the resurrection we celebrate each Sunday when we gather, death is not the enemy. The powers and the forces of death are. The social powers and principalities that produce unjust suffering and meaningless death, those are the enemy. The emotional powers inside of us that don't allow us sometimes to move beyond the death of someone we love, that, that, that leave us stuck in place or that bring to us a sense of pain or a sense of failure or a sense of regret and hide from us the joy of life and faith and the thanksgiving that comes with healing and reconciliation and forgiveness. Those are the things that we seek to move beyond, not death. For death has already been vanquished in Christ. We will all be changed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 
But am I just clinging to a cliche, another one? Is this just wishful thinking? Maybe. But please go with me here, if you would. Let me try to describe this in a a sort of cliche-free way, perhaps. Let us consider together perhaps the gambit of our faith at its heart. Let that be the third thing that I might have learned about death. For I do believe that the central affirmation of our faith that is proven in experience, that is proven in the community of witness around us, that is proven in the long life of faith as we experience it, is this, that we are created. We are not here by accident. We don't come from nowhere. We are created. And that the force, the power, the presence in in the universe and all that is, that creates not only all that is, but creates us, is a force or power of love. Overflowing into creativity. We are created, we are created in love, and love knows. Love inclines itself. Love desires good, and love will have its way. Love knows you. Love is inclined toward you. Love desires good for all people, and love will have its way. And so the love that created all things and created us and created life itself does not abandon us as we live our lives, even when it feels distant. Nor does love die with us when we die. The love that created us knows us as he knows all things intimately, personally. And to that love we return known, knowing, and incorporated into loving through all eternity. So maturing in faith, I believe, allows us to affirm life without having to hide from death or deny death or be overwhelmed by death. It allows us to affirm and embrace life and want life and relish life through all things and to not seek death even while we are reconciled to death. Faith allows us to prepare for death however it comes without fear or anger or desperation but with confidence that life is worth living even as death is not the enemy. That, as the old Anglican Book of Common Prayer says, in life and in death, we belong to God. We mourn, but not as a people without hope. When I was a young pastor in my first church, 
my oldest son, Andrew, was just a baby when we arrived. And before I even preached my first sermon, the secretary of the church said to me, Wes, there is a family, who the father of which is dying. They are very active members of the church. You need to go. But uh, Lynn was out that day, and uh, the baby, was, I don't know, the, I don't remember all the circumstances. I only remember I had Andrew, and I had to go, and I, I called the mother and the family, and I said, I apologize, I have my child, I want to come, may I come, may I bring my child with me? She said, please do. I brought Andrew with me, all the while, holding him in my hand while I'm next to the bed, praying over this man who was near his final breath, with Andrew squirming in my arms, thinking, this is not the way to do this. <laughs> and apologizing to his wife, and she looked at me and taught me a lesson that day when she said, oh, no, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For to have this new life in this room today gives me hope. It's why we sing hymns at, at funerals. It's why over black robes we wear white stoles. It's why we remember lives well and honestly and find windows in every life to the divine. It is why we don't forget nameless deaths or become overwhelmed. It's why we don't gloss over the forces or powers of death, but we work for justice and for healing and we want every life to be remembered, even the hardest, and given to God and why we let prayer be a space where all of this unfolds. A couple years after my father died, I joined a group of seminarians to spend most of a summer in the Middle East. We spent uh, several weeks in Egypt getting to know the Egyptian church. And during that time and visit, we spent four days at a fourth century monastery called St. Makarios. And I still remember the first day we were there when one of the monks, who had surprisingly good English, sort of took me aside and wanted to talk to me, not the group, he wanted to talk to me. He kept asking me questions about my life and we got to talking about my father who had only passed just a couple of years before. And he looked at me in a way that you probably have, someone, have had someone look at you at some point in your life. He looked at me as though the only thing happening in all the world was that moment and that look. And he looked at me with his eyes with a sense of absolute assurance and certainty in an uncertain world. And he looked at me and he said with deep conviction, he is praying for you now. All of the theology and debates about afterlife aside, he told a truth that was deep and real and life-giving. So one night in the hospital, if you'll let me say this, it was late in the night and I began, I remembered that monk and I remembered the power of communion that he was describing as we pray for each other through all eternity. And the feast that we remember at communion, and we had not had a chaplain come by at that point, and to my embarrassment, but I decided to go down to the cafeteria in the hospital. 
and I found a cup of grapes, and I found a couple of saltine crackers. And I took the grapes and the saltine crackers, and over the bed I simply broke the grapes and broke a saltine cracker and said a couple of prayers and rubbed the grapes on, on, on my mother's mouth and, and the cracker and took them myself and simply remembered all of the communions through all of the weeks and all the generations that we share together as a church. All the times when we remember together the great feast that we are promised through all creation, the great feast where all people are gathered from the rubble of Turkey to hospital beds in Pennsylvania or West Virginia or here in Scottsdale. And so faith allows us to say with St. Paul, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword know in all of these things we are conquerors through the one who loved us? For we are convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.